Welcome everybody to episode 50 of the Average Jake Firefighter Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Owens from the Average Jake Firefighter Blog. All fire officers need an accurate knowledge of building terms. If fire officers make glaring errors in terminology, such as referring to I-beam columns, it may be very difficult for building professionals or tradespersons to believe their fire protection recommendations. However, the most important reason for knowing building terms is safety. There are too many instances of fatalities that have occurred because fire officers did not recognize construction elements and conditions under which they are likely to fail. By far, most fires are fought in buildings. The study of fire tactics should properly start with the study of buildings. And that's a quick passage from Building Construction for the Fire Service, the third edition uh, by Francis L. Brannigan. If you haven't heard of Francis Brannigan, um, then man, he is the by far the godfather of building construction in the fire service. And it's a book. Uh, there are several editions out there. I personally think that the third edition is probably his best edition. Um, there's a newer version where it's based on his works, but it's more uh, ifsta manual textbook style, which it's still very good, um, but it's not as good as that third edition uh, building construction book. And I thought that was the perfect segue into the discussion we're going to have today with George McNeil discussing church fires because in reality the study of church fires all starts with the study of building construction the unique fire behavior aspects of church fires start with the study of building construction and why that building is different and the things that we need to consider and the things we need to take place uh, because of the differences with church fires versus a commercial occupancy such as a Walmart or a multifamily dwelling uh, or even uh, you know a nursing facility or of course our classic single family dwelling uh, residential fire. Uh, we can't take the same tactics into those. So I think it's going to be a great, great discussion uh, with George, and I can't wait to get to it. However, first, 50 episodes. I, I'm just, I, you know, if you've listened to any episodes of the podcast, you know that, uh, you know, this all started on kind of like a whim. It started on kind of like, I just felt like I this was a better medium for me to express what I had to say. You guys have all read some of the blog stuff, or if you haven't, go to averagejakefirefighter.com. I still blog there occasionally. I still write things that, that, that come up and, and things that I feel that maybe are better in the written word, but uh, I really feel that the podcast medium and the spoken word medium is a lot better for me to express how I feel, and also it gives a much better avenue for me to do what I really like to do. And that's not to make a name for me, but to create names for other people, to highlight people like George, to highlight people like Brandon Douglas, like Lex Shady, uh, like Jim Moss, like every other guest we've had, Andy Sacadato. I mean, I could go on and on, but uh, that's really what I really wanted to start this podcast for was not necessarily to highlight me, but to highlight just the other great, great people out there in the fire service. And also just to really be able to continue to highlight the great people in the fire service out there. Um, I've got a lot of things planned. This podcast isn't going anywhere. But just thanks to anyone that's ever listened to the Average Jake Firefighter podcast. I, I got a text the other day from one of my good friends, Taylor Goodman, who was in a different part of the country. 
and uh, was, someone mentioned the podcast to him because, uh, you know, most of you guys know the fire department that I work for and noticed that Taylor worked for the same fire department. Um, and just to get a text like that or to get a direct message or anything, just to say that you enjoyed the podcast, just to say that you, you've enjoyed the guests or just the topics at hand, even if you don't agree, because we're not always going to agree in the fire service. And that's, you know, another topic for another day. But even if you don't agree with what I say, even if you have a different opinion, I think that's great. The big thing is that we're all engaged in the fire service and, and even if we're having our down times. And I feel like for me personally, I'm in a little bit of a lull in the in my fire service career right now. I'm in a little bit of a down period in the fire service right now. But uh, but just the fact that people can continue to reach out and say they enjoy the podcast. Uh, I never thought we'd get to 50 episodes. In fact, it, we're actually probably more around like 70, but I've deleted more than I've ever published because I just didn't think they were very good because, you know, as I've said before, I want to, uh, if you're going to take the time out of your day to listen to something I have to say, then I want it to be worth your while. So again, thanks everybody for 50 episodes. I, I can't be thankful enough and uh, we're going to keep going. I've got some great guests lined up. Um, I've got some topics I want to discuss uh, about where we're at in the fire service, and we've got conferences we're going to. I'm gonna I'm going out there to water on the fire. I'm going to Firehouse Expo. I'm going to High Rise Operations Conference. So we're gonna have a ton of things to talk about uh, within the next you know eight to nine months, and hopefully beyond. So again, thanks for sticking with me for 50 episodes, and no longer belaboring the point. Let's get to a great discussion about church fires with George McNeil. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Average Jake Firefighter Podcast, 50th episode of the Average Jake Firefighter Podcast. And as you heard in the intro, uh, super excited to have George McNeil on talking about, well, main main topic going to be talking about church fires, but we're going to talk about George's journey in the fire service and really anything George wants to talk about, because that's why I brought him on here, because I want to hear what he has to say. And, and for those of you, I mean, he's he's uh, active on the Instagram world. And uh, just, you know, he's going to have he's going to share with us a wealth of knowledge about church fires and just the fire service in general. So we're super excited to have George McNeil. George, welcome to the Average Jake Firefighter podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. I'm I'm super excited to be here for episode number 50. I think that's that's a pretty cool milestone. Uh, as you kind of introduced me a little bit, my name is George. Uh, I go by the Lone Star Jake on Instagram and on Twitter. Um I've been working in the fire and emergency services for about 14 years in some capacity or another. Uh, I've worked as a flight paramedic. I have been a firefighter paramedic um, for a couple of different fire departments. Um, I am a level two instructor in the state of Texas. Uh, I'm a certified, I'm an intermediate level firefighter in the state of Texas, and I'm a state of Texas EMS instructor. Um, one of my big passions in the fire service is, uh, teaching and training. And part of that has to go, has to do with, uh, my early career. And we'll talk about some of that stuff, um, later on. And, uh, yeah, I, like I said, I'm super excited to be here. Man, that's, that's awesome. So, you know, before we get started with the, with the church fire topic, like I, I'm really interested, I know the listeners are always interested in what kind of drove you to the fire service. I know I've talked about my fire service journey in the past, whereas this is essentially like the family business for me uh, with my dad being a firefighter, uh, my brother being a firefighter, my uh, brother-in-law being a firefighter, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, that's kind of what really like 
it what it's what uh got me in but it's not really what gave me the passion like the passion was definitely uh from jump street like the first time i got to go on a call i was like this is for me i'm hooked what was it for you what really kind of brought you into the fire service what got you hooked well um actually what brought me into the fire service uh was when i was a little kid um my dad actually showed me the movie hellfighters with john wayne okay um about uh, loosely based on the uh life uh, on the life's work of red adair and the wild well control company in houston texas and i thought that is the coolest job in the world um i want to do that and uh, you know i, I kind of always thought about it um and then uh, my grandfather was a firefighter for 23 years um retired as a deputy fire chief um and even though, you know, I had those two experiences in my life, um, I, I had never really thought about going into the fire service. Um, I, I'd always been more interested in joining the military and getting into uh, the special operations community. Um, and I actually uh, went to MEPS for the Navy and uh, did all the physical testing to go into the Navy on a, on a special operations contract. And, uh when it came right down to it, the, the nuts of it was I, I couldn't pass the mile and a half runtime, no matter how hard I tried. And so I eventually ended up in the fire service. Um, and I, I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm grateful for how things went. Um, I've enjoyed every second of the last 14 years, been a little annoyed occasionally, but I've enjoyed every second of the last 14 years. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think that you're alone. There were sometimes, especially the most passionate of us. A lot of times we get annoyed. Uh, I know I get annoyed myself uh, with certain things that go on in my fire department. Uh, so I don't think you're unique in that aspect, but no, I think it's great. I mean, I think that it definitely, that's an awesome, that's an awesome, awesome path and awesome, you know, history of, of your fire service and how you, and how you got here. Um, You know, I'm a firm believer in that things happen for a reason. Um, And, you know, my dad bringing me by that firehouse, you know, one time and, you know, coincidentally, like, you know, having to change fire departments, you know, when the, the industrial fire department he was a part of, uh, had to laid him off and then he had to go change a different fire. I mean, that made me come home from college and start my fire service career. So, you know, things happen for a reason. So I'm a firm believer in that. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I can't disagree with you. Heck, I agree with you hundred percent on that statement. Awesome. Well, hey, let's get into the topic. I mean, so I saw your Instagram post at, again at Lone Star Jake. I saw your Instagram post and I saw, uh, you know, just the, a lot of the talking points and, and I read it and uh, man, it really like it sparked a, it sparked like a like this memory, I guess, in the back of my head. Um, and I really thought that this would be something that and I haven't heard a lot of podcast topics, especially fire service podcast topics about it, uh, about church just you know their their uniqueness and and some of their dangers to be quite honest with you and it took me back to a part of my volunteer fire service career and i can't remember the exact year but i i probably was around 16 17 maybe 18 at the oldest where we had in this metro richmond area where i live in specifically okay. uh hanover county virginia we had a church arsonist Really? going around and i distinctly remember like he was going around like the metro richmond area uh chesterfield richmond henrico and hanover lighting churches on fire really and uh, sometimes he would write a light a dumpster next to the church or sometimes he would light the church uh, like completely 
And so I remember like the guy who was like in charge of our operations at the time for Hanover County, because it was mostly a volunteer fire department. We went out on a Saturday and every company in the in Hanover County had to go out and we made a cheat sheet where the addresses of the churches and the closest two fire hydrants. Like, so we all like but the fire department I was a part of had two engines, a ladder truck and a heavy rescue. And so everybody loaded up on a Saturday. We did it like a work detail and right. we all had a list of churches in the, in the, our first due and second due. And we rode out there and we're like finding all the hydrants and making sure. And then we carried that laminated card in the map book of the first, of the first out pieces forever. I mean, like it was forever, probably like five, six years later, uh, it was still in the map books. And so when you put that, that post out, it really sparked that memory. And so I was like, man, we got to talk about this on the podcast. So, so take it away, George. Like what, what are some of these things you want to talk about? Uh, I know you've got a lot to talk about. So what are the things you want to talk about with these church fires? Like, like start us off. Um, starting off, uh, that run card you talked about putting the mm-hmm. two closest fire hydrants on there uh, to the church. That's a great idea. And when you're dealing with target hazards like that, I, that's something I had never even thought of. Um, I may take that idea back to my department and talk to the chiefs and see, see if we can't make something like that happen um, for, for just, you know, some of the target hazards that we have in my fire district. Um, I, I'm the type of person that when I'm just out and about in the district, I tend to look at buildings and I tend to think about the worst case scenario. Um, and I was, I, I, I was actually working EMS in the town where I took the pictures of that church. Um, and I was out, I was out just for a walk. I was, I was on my own call shift and I was walking by this church and I'm, I'm looking up at it and I'm looking at the steeple and I'm going, Oh my God, this building would be a nightmare to, to operating and so it it got me to thinking it's like all right i'm going to take some pictures i'm going to get four corners of the building and i'm going to do a little bit of research and i'm going to dig into it a little bit and and try to put some information out there because like i said in the post i i have gotten to a point where i don't just put content out to put content out um when i first started kind of pushing my Instagram towards uh, doing firefighter content and firefighter training material. It was like, I was trying to post three times a week and it, it, it was like the content was flat. It was just like, I was trying to force it and I would rather be sporadically posting and have good content out there than um, trying to force it. And that's what brought this topic on. Um, so when you're operating in churches, there there's a couple of couple of things you want to think about. Um, they are going to be tactically very challenging to operate in. And the second thing, they oftentimes have a reputation for being firefighter killers. A um, couple of notable incidents, if any of the listeners want to do some research, uh, the Precious Space Temple fire in Lake Worth, Texas in February 99. Three firefighters were killed when the timber uh, when the timber truss roof collapsed, and it actually wasn't a timber truss roof. Uh, I had to go back and re- reread an article on it. It was just uh, a truss roof that collapsed while they were on the ro- while they were trying to ventilate. Um, and then a uh, second incident is the Temple Gates of Zion fire in Valley Stream, New York, in 1979. 
two firefighters were killed when uh, fire burning unseen in a concealed attic uh, that had been covered up by a recent addition of a drop ceiling. Fire was burning in that uh, above them in that drop ceiling and it weakened the trusses and it blew the ceiling down on top of them. Um, tactical considerations when you're operating uh, in a church or a place of worship the unique design of the building makes them a collapse hazard. Um, there is a massive dead load of the structure. And when I'm talking about the dead load, I'm talking about the building itself. I'm talking about walls, floors, girders, columns, the roof trusses. Um, and when you're operating on the outside, the most unstable part is going to be the tower or the steeple of the building. <clears throat> But you also need to be concerned with, when you're operating on the outside, you need to be concerned with chimneys, roofs, parapet walls, um, non-bearing weight, non-bearing walls, and load-bearing walls. Um, building construction on, on these is going to vary widely. Most of the times, you're going you know, to be dealing with Type 3, Type 4, and Type 5 construction all built into one building. Uh, so let's hit on that for just a second, not to inter- not to interrupt you because I know you've got a lot of talking points, but not no, to interrupt. Let's talk about the, the the building construction aspect of it. I know that, like for for example, where I, where I'm at, and and please share your experiences in, in Texas. I know where I'm at. What we're tend to seeing is we're not seeing a lot of. I get what Vincent Dunn called uh, in his in the building collapse book. We're not seeing a lot of purpose built churches. We're seeing a lot of repurposed buildings uh, built as churches, like you know a warehouse or uh, even like gosh, like there's some in in that border Henrico County in the city of Richmond that were like convenience stores that are now churches, like where you know places of of worship. And I think that that can be. I guess a little bit surprising, right? Because you're going into a commercial atmosphere or commercial type building construction where people are gathering and it's maybe not what you're expecting, right? Like it may have aspects of a worship, a worship area or a church when, you know, when I, cause when I think of a church, I'm thinking of exactly like what you just said, the big steeple, the big art, the big, you know, for, you know, super huge pitched roof and heavy timber construction and all of those things. Uh, when in reality, like some of the things we're seeing uh, are like some of these converted buildings or repurposed buildings into churches. And I think that changes the game a little bit. I have seen that a few times. Um, the part of Texas where, I, where I'm currently living at working as a firefighter medic, it's not real common. Um, you know, okay. the churches are the churches are purpose built churches. But uh, in some of my travels through North, Te- North Texas and some of the smaller towns in North Texas, I have seen older buildings, um, convenience stores, warehouses. Um, I saw an old automotive shop converted into a church. And depending on, you know, just using the automotive shop as an example, if they went in there and cleaned it up, it, you know, you have you have the the hazardous materials aspect to think about. Um, if you're dealing with uh, dealing with an automotive, with a fire in a place of worship, that was an automotive shop at one point in time, mm-hmm. uh, you need to 
in this day and age, you need to be wary of building construction, especially in those buildings that were converted, that had a different purpose in life and were converted into places of worship. Um, a lot of times they're going to have remodels and renovations done over the years. And those remodels and renovations can create hidden void spaces um, for fire to travel in and, you know, going back to the Temple Gates of Zion fire, they had, they had just put a drop ceiling in, and uh, I, I was doing a little bit of research on it. They they showed up, the front doors were open, and uh, the Valley Stream Fire Department, they took two, two-and-a-half-inch lines, and they were making the push inside. And they thought they were making a good, they thought they were making good progress on what they assumed was the main body of fire uh, inside the main worship hall. What they didn't know is that fire had gotten into a hidden stairway with a spiral staircase and gotten up into that hidden void space in the attic and was burning above their heads the entire time. And it just, it, it eventually just weakened the trusses and, and the roof just blew down on top of them. Uh, trapped 12 firefighters and it killed two very experienced captains. <clears throat> Man, that is, that is, uh, that's a it's a scary thought to think of that too right and 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 i think a lot of times we i don't want to say take for granted or maybe are complacent with the with the with these type of buildings right because i mean they are i mean i can only think of in my gosh you know 17 years with my current department um and you know 10 years volunteering uh in Hanover Metro Richmond area and you're working some part-time. I mean, even with all that, I can only think of a, of a couple times that we've had a church fire. I mean, we had one a year or two ago uh, when I was assigned as a, uh, as a command team member uh, in the West end. And really it was a church fire, but in reality, it was like one of those void space fires you talked about. It was a addition onto the church to the original building and some of the HVAC system had uh, that they put inside had overloaded, and it smoked up the place. In reality, it was just like a small, small fire, but it looked impressive uh, coming down the road. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. Like I said, I feel like maybe we take that for granted a little bit. Uh, they're not things that burn on a regular basis. And so, yeah, I, I, I kind of I, I would tend to agree with you that, you know, complacency definitely uh, – it it definitely sets in your mind because, you know, you roll up and think, Oh, it's going to be a medium deal. And you don't take it as seriously as you should. Um, not like, not like on a bread and butter house fire where you roll up and, you know, you, you have your game plan. Um, there's just, there's so much to think about, especially in these older purpose built churches. Um, and if you're not wary of that, not wary of the building construction, not wary of the age of the building, um, and then you're not thinking about, you, you know, not only do I have the massive dead load of the structure, but a lot of these buildings are going to have a massive interior fire load as well. They're going to have a lot of type three construction materials inside. They're going to have sheetrock. They're going to have wood in the pews. Um, you know, there's going to be, depending on if it's an older church, there's going to be candle wax up around the trusses and stuff like that. All of that stuff is flammable material. And that, that can, can, if it does get going big, that can create a big freaking fire. 
Yeah, absolutely. So when you talk about that, when you talk about some of the 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 fire loading and you talk about the uh, you know just what kind of what kind of hand lines are you are are you recommending that we t- buildings? I mean, I know for me, like a lot of these purpose built churches, you know, they have these large they have these large uncompartmented spaces, right? And for me, that that screams a two and a half or a minimum of a two inch line. Um, whereas though a lot of people avoid that because of their staffing and, and, and whatnot, what, uh, what say you, what, what are we kind of, what, what kind of hose lines are you thinking we're recommending for an attack for if we're going to go in on an interior attack for one of these things? So if you're, if you're going into a building, like I posted on Instagram and you roll, you pull around the corner and you got fire blowing through the roof, you want large diameter hose lines, minimum two inch minimum two and a half inch. You want to make sure that you have a water supply established. Um, Maneuverability is not going to be a factor with this. Um, You know, it's going to be, it's big fire, big water. You want to, you want to be able to dump as much water into one of those as you possibly can. And you need to make sure that, you, you know, if it's not big fire, big water, you need to make sure that your large diameter hose line stretches are dialed in. Um, you need to make sure that you can get your two and a half inch lines into the seat of the fire and get it knocked down before it gets out of hand. I love that you said that right there. I love you said you need to have your two and a half inch hose line stretches dialed in because like when we're practicing hose line stretches and I mean, and I know guilty, guilty here, how many times are we pulling off the two and a half? How many times are we even flowing in advancing the two and a half? I just let a drill the other get flowing and moving, but it was with the inch and three quarter. You know, right. it was with the inch and three quarter. It was a, fi- you know, 15 sixteenths, you know, technically really 1.88 hose because we use pond conquest, but 15 16 smooth bore 185 GPMs at 50. That's right. what we were flowing and moving. And with two people, it's, it's, it's doable. And with three people, it's a dream, right? right? So, but the two and a half, maybe not. What do you, when you're recommending that, what kind of flow characteristics, because everybody tips their two and a half inch hose is different. What kind of flow are you looking for? I know where I work. We have an inch and an eighth and an inch and a quarter tip. Is that similar to what you guys are utilizing there, or uh, or what would you recommend? We're actually, um, and it's it's a battle that I'm fighting right now. We're using uh, adjustable gallonage um, fog nozzles on all of our lines. It, it, it's an uphill battle, but it's wow. it's something that I'm working on. <laughs> yeah, um, no, I, I bet that makes that two and a half more difficult to pull, though. You know, it, it probably it, makes people more more wanting to avoid it. it. It it definitely does make moving a two and a half inch line uh, a lot more difficult. Um, but like I said, we're running the adjustable gallons nozzles, and we usually run anywhere between one fifty and two hundred GPM on those nozzles off of our two and a half inch uh, attack lines. Um, and then we've also got a uh, we've got a blitz fire nozzle uh, pre-plumbed to one of our attack lines off the back of our primary uh, our first out structure piece. Um, you, you know when you're when you're talking big fire, big water, inch and an eighth, inch and a quarter tip, you, you want 150, 200 gallons a minute. Um, like I said, big fire, big water, um, and you need to make sure that you can move them with people or without people. Um, And if you don't have enough people set up for defensive operations and get help coming as quick as possible. 
so you mentioned the Blitzfire, and I'm a big believer in in the those rapid attack monitors. Um, you know, either whatever you're using, whatever whatever you're using, uh, whatever. And I really like that you've got it uh, pre-piped. I mean, or pre uh, pre-rigged. I guess would be the lack of term. What are you? Uh, have you guys have you done any sort of practice, or do would you recommend in this sort of situation? Um, like using that as a defensive and offensive weapon. I know I've seen people in a commercial occupancy, like take that big Ram monitor or Blitzfire monitor, set it, open it up with a three inch line to it and let it flow. And then when they need to move in closer, shutting it down, taking two people, dragging the line and dragging the monitor uh, inside or to a different location with them. I, I know I've seen that be a successful operation before. Anything that you guys are doing down there? Oh, absolutely. And I, I would absolutely recommend doing that. You can use the Blitzfire nozzle as an offensive or defensive weapon. Um, you just, you got to make sure, you got to have that in your head as you're rolling up. You know, if you have a Blitzfire on your truck, you roll around the corner and you see big fire, it's like, okay, we're going to pull the two and a half with the Blitzfire on it. We're going to get it into the front entryway of the church. We're going to set it up. And then we're going to set up a water supply and we're just going to start dumping water into this thing. Once we get a knock on the main body of fire, we're going to, we're going to shut it down. We're going to move in a little bit and, you know, just take it, take it incrementally, go one step at a time and just dump as much water on it as fast as you can. I think we probably glossed over this for a second and, and I, I love where the conversation is going. Um, but I think it's important to always contextualize it and bring it down to to brass tacks or reality uh, where when you're talking about the tactics that you're going to utilize versus the tactics I'm going to utilize, it needs to make it needs to fit the fire department that you have. Um, you didn't mention it in your intro, but what are what were what's your staffing level and what are you guys sending to a, a church fire or, or, or some or whatever type or this similar type of occupancy? So. Uh, our daily minimum staffing, we try to staff four. Um, we're a small department. Um, and we actually, within the last three years, uh, made the, made the transition over from volunteer to combination. Uh, we, we have two guys that staff an ambulance and then we have two guys that cross staff. Uh, we have a 109 foot aerial ladder truck. Um, or we have, uh, a fire engine, um, you know, it's a typical E1, typical E1 custom cab, uh, pumper. Um, and so depending on the incident, uh, our staffing can kind of change. Uh, we do have, we do have volunteer firefighters. Um, but you know, as you know, in the middle of the day, it's kind of hard to get a volunteer, uh, get volunteers to show up. Um, absolutely at night volunteer uh, at night we usually have pretty good success with volunteers showing up um if you're in a community where staffing is limited or you have limited resources and you know you're going to a fire in a big building like this it's better to get the resources coming that you think you're going to need and turn them around than to get there and realize, oh crap, we're weighing over our heads here. Yeah, well, you know, and I, I just think it's important to bring that up because you're talking about having a very aggressive mindset, stretching two and a halves, stretching uh, 
uh, you know, stretching, uh, you know, blitz fire monitors and, and all those things and, and, and having a very aggressive mindset with a limited staffing. And I think that that's one of the things that, that there's a myth. You can be aggressive with limited staffing. You take what you have and try to maximize it. You're going to throw big water at it. You know, you may not be able to do simultaneous search and uh, and fire suppression. So you're trying to take care of the biggest threat that there is and throw a ton of water at this thing and make it make it manageable for what to for either to get help there or to make it more manageable for the people that you have on scene. And I think that's a, a big thing for some of the listeners, because not every listener that we have here works for the FDNY. I mean, right. I'm in an even more different situation for a building such as that. We would send a we would probably call that a special hazard uh, assignment. And we would send five engines, uh, two or three special service companies and a special service company to us as a ladder truck or a heavy rescue, three chief officers, two ambulances. Um, so we're sending, you know, and we have a minimum staffing of three people on each suppression piece. Right. So we're sending, you know, 30 people. Right. Uh, you know, 30 people to this fire, you know what right. I mean? And, but still, but we're still talking both aggressive tactics. We're going to be able to do maybe more at a time than your fire department, but we're still two and a half, you know, maybe an inch and three quarter if it's in, if it's a smaller incipient fire based on the size up. But right. I mean, you know, the, the importance is that we're talking about being, you know, taking what you have and being aggressive with it, not writing the building off because, Oh, well, we've only got two people and the other two guys are at the hospital on the ambulance. So that's that's a narrative that has been being pushed, I would say, probably since 2018. Mm -hmm. Limited staffing and you roll up on a big working fire or you roll up on a house fire where there's a heavy volume of fire and you just write the building off because there's no way there's no way you can be aggressive with two guys and. I I completely disagree with that statement and I completely disagree with that narrative. You can absolutely be aggressive with minimum staffing. You just, you have to practice and you have to be confident in your skills to where it's, it's second nature. Um, you know, I was looking at Facebook this morning and I, I, I saw a quote from some retired Navy SEAL and it's, it's been thrown around, you know, numerous times you you don't rise to the occasion you sink to the level of your training absolutely and so the more practiced you are at moving a two and a half inch line with two guys or in my department's case we have a blitz fire line you know we got a driver and we got an officer on the engine uh, you know the driver is going to be humping tail he's going to be working hard getting the line stretched out or well, helping the officer get the line stretched out. Um, the off, and he may actually be stretching the, the line himself because the officer may be trying to get a 360. But it, you know, if it's a building as large as the one I posted on Instagram, you're not going to get a full 360. You might get three sides of the building. You know, you're going to get the side as you're driving up. You're going to get the front, and then you may take a quick walk around. You know, the Bravo side of the building just to see what you have, but you're, you, you may not get a full 360 of the building. Yeah, absolutely. I know one of the things that we utilize, even with the staffing model that we have, we'll do what, what we call a motorized 360. Somebody will ride around that building. 
it may be the first new company. It may be the, the first new special service. It might be the first new chief officer, but someone it's instead of getting out and hoofing it, um, instead of getting out and hoofing it, it's not going to be just a rant. Like, you know, we're going to utilize the resources that we have in order right. to get that 360 and get that picture. Um, but no, I, I really love where you're going. And, I, and I'm sorry, like we've kind of dovetailed off into that conversation, but I really love it. And it, part of it is because I'm reading, I, I read a lot. I'm a nerd. No, um, so am I. So am and, I. Uh, I, I'm reading this uh, book about, it's called Masters of Command. Okay. And uh, it's about Alexander, Hannibal, and Caesar. Okay. And I just read part of the, a chapter about uh, how they took undermanned armies and defeated larger armies when they were going in, in their, you know, and they used a term called cunning aggression. Mm -hmm. And I really, really liked that term. And it has so many applications to the fire service because it is possible to take a limited number of people and still win, even in a big building, as long as you're using your cunning and you're, you know, you're, you're matching that aggression with your, your, your with your intellect. Some people call it intelligently aggressive, right. uh, but, but I mean, it just, it is possible. I mean, it's been happening, you know, even in the, your ancient Rome, you know, and, and, and so on, like we can take, you know, limited people and make an impact on these bigger buildings, even when it comes to fire attack and search. Right. And, you know, if you can't get a search done right away, and you have a report that there's people trapped in there. What's the best thing that you can do to make to make it safer for the people? You can knock down the fire. You That's can knock excellent. down the main body of fire and make conditions more tenable for people that, that may be trapped inside. Um, because then that makes it safer for the people that are trapped, and that makes it safer for the units that are operating on scene. Absolutely. Well, let, so let's talk about that for a minute. I know. Um... In a building like this, especially like a purpose-built church that they're large and, uh, and and whatnot, I know, and we we would utilize, and this is something I did not come up with this term. I did not come up with, uh, I did not come up with the concept, but I really, really, really like it, um, especially, and I think it can be utilized with a limited manpower or a, or a, a large manpower uh, situation like we like we're going to be in. Uh, and this is a guy who is one of my fire service mentors, uh, any sort of large building search, he likes the term and I know people hate acronyms, right? So before everybody turns off the podcast, I'm getting ready to say, okay, acronym warning in case you're going to get triggered. Okay. He calls it a laser search. And what laser stands for is limited area search enter only for rescue. Okay. And so what he means by that is a laser search would be searching the high traffic areas. So like okay. on a Walmart, for example, you would search a hundred and, you know, you would go to the main door and right. open the main door and we would use a search rope and we would assess the situation, look at where the level of the smoke is, look at where the fire activity is, scan it with a tick, call out, see if anybody can make it to us. And if there's a possibility that someone could be trapped in that 150 foot, limit that we limit ourselves to in commercial occupancies we go to them it's a more right. of a line of sight search uh same thing so once you do that you search that immediate area you move on to the next egress point so a lot of times these places have exits and egress points that puke people out all the way you know to different sides of the building right. go to that next egress point open the door scan it with the tick call out see, assess your situation search the immediate area and then get out 
You know what I mean? And I think that's something that could be utilized with these churches, especially in the main worship area, right? Because that's where if there's a fire that happens in the middle of a of a worship worship session, people are going to be not just going out the door they came in. There's exits to the rear a lot of times. There's exits to the sides, so on and so forth. And so I really think that that's something that we utilize even in a heavy manpower situation. But I'm interested in what you guys are using and what kind of search techniques you're recommending for these large occupancies. You know, I had, I actually like the idea that laser search. Um, that's that's a, that's a concept I I'd not heard of, um, but it, it when you think about it, it actually makes sense. Um, when we're practicing large area search drills, uh, it, again, it's it's a battle that I'm trying to fight. Uh, you know, I'm trying to get people every every member of the department has a 150 foot rope bag issued to them. And I'm, I think it's 150 foot. May it might be a little bit less than that, um, but it's it's a personal it's a personal rescue rope bag, mm-hmm. um, and I'm I'm trying to get people to you know realize that you could do a quick search off of that. It's got a carabiner on it. You can clip off, and you, you go out to the end of your your rescue rope. You do a quick search, and then you come back unclip go to the next area and uh, you know do a quick search and uh, and move on and and try to try to clear as much of the building as you can yeah i well like i said with us we have a, a rope dedicated to the rig we call it a unit tagline um but i think in your situation like i said where you have a lot of guys that are probably going to be working independent having each person with 150 foot of rope is 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 a great tactic it's a great idea i really like that it's it's a something that I had not seen until I came to this department. Um, but yeah, every member of the department has has a personal rescue or a personal rope bag. Um, and I, I like I said, I I think it's a great I think it's a great tool, and it might cost a little bit of money, but it, it's it's something good for uh, for every member to have. And you know, if you find yourself in in, in a crappy situation and things are getting caca on you you know, you can at least rescue yourself um, and, you know, not create an additional situation on top of the, the, the situation that you're dealing with. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So it, we're starting to get into, we're, we're, we've talked about a lot of things. We've talked about fire attack. We've talked about the, the uniqueness of the building construction. We've talked about rescue. What are some other things that maybe we need to, we've even talked about size up a little bit. What are some other things that we need to consider when we're dealing with these church fires? So one thing I definitely want to hit on is, well, I think it's important to be aggressive. You also don't want to overcommit. Um, as you well know, conditions on this job can change rapidly and oftentimes with a degree of unpredictability. And that's why, you know, I, I, I believe it's important to, you know, have somebody inside keeping an eye, keeping an eye on conditions and have somebody on the outside keeping an eye on conditions. Because if you don't, if you overcommit and you dump all your resources in there, uh, it's like we've already talked about church fires can be firefighter killers. And the, the, the reason, the common theme is roof collapse, wall collapse, structural collapse inside these buildings. 
And so you need to be able to have those simultaneous viewpoints and be able to abandon ship if things are getting out of hand. Yeah, I, I think, yeah. And I think, you know, so not to, not to continue with the quotes, but I'm a big quote guy. I, if someone's already said it, uh, you know, better than you, then why try to repeat it, right? Or why try, why try to recreate it, rather. And, uh, you know, Vincent Dunn in the Building Collapse book says, like, the only thing on the fire ground he can't predict is sudden collapse. And I think that's even more prevalent in when you're talking about a large church, right? Right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially if it's been cut up and added onto and there's hidden void spaces, um, you know, and you've got fire burning over your head or you've got fire burning behind you that you don't see. Um, and, and so, yeah, you, you absolutely you want to be aggressive, but you, you also want to have the ability to, you know, it's like this is getting out of hand. Everybody back out. We're going defensive on this thing. And, you know, try, try as best you can to save what you can and, and, uh, you know, get everybody out. Yeah, absolutely. As we start to, uh, to start, we, like, and we've talked about a whole host of topics, um, you know, but it's all been really good stuff. Um, leave the listeners or as we start to wind down, leave the listeners with like, two or three like major things that they can like in the back of their head at two o'clock in the morning when they're thinking about that, they listen to the average Jake podcast on church fires. Like they, they get dispatched to a church fire, leave them with some like really like, like some like two or three, you know, even four or five takeaways that they need to consider that when they're pulling up to one of these. So I already mentioned, I already mentioned big fire, big water. Okay. You want, at least one two and a half inch hose line, and you want to get a second in. You want to get a second line in service um, as quick as possible. Now, it, you know if you're uh, a limited manpower company, your second line may be coming from your next in engine company or or your backup. Um, so, multiple lines, big fire, big water. Um, You need to keep in mind uh, the immense fire load of the structure. Uh, keep in mind the age of the structure because as the building gets older, um, things get weaker. Uh, and then if you're strictly on a defensive operation and you're working outside, you need to be concerned about exterior wall collapse and uh, the truss, the truss roof failing and blowing out the exterior walls of the church. I I am so glad you brought that up. I'm so because I think that's uh, I cannot remember the date, and you probably have it maybe in your research or or. But it wasn't. I believe it was Philadelphia that had like a church collapse. Um, like was it Philadelphia? Maybe it wasn't Philadelphia, but but I remember reading an article or seeing a story about a church fire where the like the outer walls like collapsed, like and and you know what I mean, and like that's so. I, I really think that's one of the biggest things. Um, where we tend to like we tend to ignore that part, right? Like we we'll we'll have heavy fire conditions and and all these things, and and we'll be like, all right, we're going defensive, but then we'll completely ignore a collapse zone. Right. right. Like we'll completely ignore. And with the and, and with a house fire, a lot of times we get away with it. 
but on a big commercial building, whether it's one of these churches with the heavy roof steeple, you know, that's going to be pushing the roof down and the, and the walls out, or whether it's tilt wall construction on a commercial occupancy, you know, that stuff falls in big slabs. Like it doesn't crumble, you know no. what I mean? Like, it, yeah, exactly. It, it, it comes down and it'll come down on top of your guys. And it was, uh, it was Pittsburgh in 2007. That's what it was. I knew it was. Yes, 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 yes. You're exactly right. The bell tower, the bell tower, the building collapsed. And then as the bell tower collapsed, it caused a secondary collapse and it blew out the exterior walls of the church, killed two firefighters. That's exactly what it was. You're exactly right. Um, and so to sum up like, like big fire, big water, um, or like what I like to, you know, call for help. Uh, like what I like to call it, go ugly early. Uh, that's, oh, yeah. that's kind of how I use it. Go ugly early. Like, like don't, don't, uh, don't, don't have any ego associated with it. Uh, mind those collapse zones and be aware of the fire load and, and roof load and building construction Would that. Would that about sum it up? Oh yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Hey, uh, it's been a great discussion, but, uh, I know you've got a lot of stuff out there and you've got a lot of other things that you, that you talk about. Um, plug, you know, where, where are you going to be? You're going to be at any conferences. Are you teaching in any conferences? Uh, you know, plug your social media, you know, let the listeners know if they want to talk to you, how they can find you. Uh, I'm not doing any teaching in any conferences, uh, right now. Um, if anybody ever wants to talk anything, uh, fire service related, uh, they can find me on Instagram, uh, at the Lone Star Jake. I'm also on Twitter at the Lone Star Jake. Um, I'm working on a couple of projects. I'm working on a project, uh, that is truck company operations off of the engine platform. Uh, it's called the way of the truck. And I may possibly even turn this church thing into a class. Um, this, this has actually been a really good discussion. Um, and this, this, you know, this may, uh, may be something that people could benefit from. Um, so I, this may get turned into a class. Um, I'm always, I'm always willing to talk to anybody that, that wants to talk or just needs, you know, somebody to vent to if they're dealing with a situation at their department, uh, you know, where they're frustrated and they're, they're not, they're not getting what they think or they feel like they should be getting, you know, I'm always willing to talk, talk shop. Um, you may have to, uh, uh, and that's, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, no, that's awesome. 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 Like, uh, again, at Lone Star Jake on Instagram at Lone Star Jake on, uh, on Twitter. And, and I really do think that there's an opportunity. Uh, you know, we don't see a lot of church fire classes and, and like, we're just scratching the surface here. Right. I mean, I think, you know, we were talking kind of before we went live on the, on the podcast that, uh, you know, you, you probably had about a page and a half because, you know, we, we like to keep it to about an hour, maybe a little longer, but I feel like there's so much, I mean, you could delve into so many of these, these incidents, like we talked about Pittsburgh, uh, you know, we talked, you talked about the fatal fire in, in Texas. You talk, I mean, there's so many avenues you could go and there's so many different rabbit holes we could go down. I mean, we went down several of them talking about search and talking about fire attack. I mean, I definitely think there's some avenues for that. And I really think that there's an avenue, especially coming from your fire department uh, and the experience that you have with low manpower, like, that's that you're in the majority of the country. I'm not in the majority of the country, like FDNY, DCFD, LA, Sandy, like all these big cities that they're not the majority. The fire departments like you 
uh, and, you know, in combination systems and low manpower, that's the majority. So anytime that somebody wants to talk about what's been working for them in that situation, I think I'm always willing to listen. And I know other people are as well. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, no, I, I, I can't disagree with you. Um, I, I, there's times I wish I worked in a system where, you know, you could kill it with manpower, but, you know, working in a system where I'm at now, where it's limited manpower, it, it's, it adds its, its own challenges and it's, its own uniqueness to the job. Um, you, and it was like we said earlier, you can still be aggressive and be a get after a fireman when you have limited manpower. You just have to be a little bit more mindful of how you do things. You can't, you can't just go hard charging in there and and get after it you know you have to be tactically proficient and and know how condition or, or at least have a comfortable knowledge of how conditions can can change and how quickly they can change um and be ready to adapt and change how you're doing things yeah, I, I totally agree. And it, it's kind of like the discussion I have with people uh, in my fire department and, you know, people all over the country. Right. Like to me, when you don't have manpower to correct your mistakes, you've got to be better the first time. Right. Um, and even with my fire department. Right. Like the way that we're the way that our county is constructed, we have some like long response times. So we we you know, we don't sometimes we got a lot of people coming. They may not get there in in the right timing. Right. So yeah. we still have to pull the right line the right time. We don't have 70 people coming and we can just overwhelm it with people, like you said. And the other thing, too, we have areas in my fire department that are slow. We have, you know, we have we I mean, I've I've transferred to the slowest uh, firehouse in my fire department um, a couple times recently. And we ran no calls like two, right. I've, 48 hours in a row there. No calls ever. Right. But we still trained that day. We still worked out because in my opinion, the people in that area, they deserve just as good a firefighter as the person who lives in the, the most populated part. Right. Oh, absolutely. So I may not get to utilize that, but I think, and I think you're in the same mindset as well. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I feel like you should be, and it was actually a quote that I, that I saw on, uh, it's an old, old YouTube documentary. Um, it's called still ride and rescue. Um, I love, the- I love still riding. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's one of my it's one of my favorite documentaries. It's it's saved into my favorites on YouTube, and I watch mm-hmm. I probably watch it at least once a month. But one of the guys was talking about it's like if a department as busy as the FDNY can get in two hours of training every single day, there's no reason why a small department that runs one or two calls a shift can't get in an hour of training every day. Yeah, I I love that. Uh, my favorite line from that is Paul Hashagan when he. Because my name is Paul Hashagan, and I have the honor of driving the captain. Like exactly. I, I love, I love that line. Like that's that's one of my all time favorite. You know, like when I'm right now and and want to watch some fire buff stuff. Like that's the that's what I that's what I watch is Brotherhood and uh, Still Riding. I love those yep. too. Yeah, those are two of my favorite movies. Um, well, I've I've really enjoyed being here. Um, is there anything else you want to uh, anything else you want to touch on? Nut George, I think this is a great place to end it. I, I, thank you for coming on the Average Jake Firefighter Podcast. Thanks for uh, you know your willingness to discuss a, a topic that I don't think a lot of of emphasis is placed on. 
Um, again, everybody, you can uh, find George uh, on Instagram and Twitter at the Lone Star Jake. And uh, so reach out to him. Uh, he clearly wants to talk about the fire service. He's a passionate brother. So let's reach out to him and, uh, and you know, let's get some discussion going. Maybe he can post some more content uh, if you guys get him riled up. So, uh, so, but again, George, thanks for coming on the podcast. Greatly appreciated. Thank you for having me, sir. All right. And we'll be back uh, with some closing statements. Jake firefighter podcast. Like I said, folks in the intro, great discussion with George McNeil uh, talking about church fires, but also talking about like everything else about his philosophy in the fire service and just some of the challenges that he faces and uh, just a really, really, really good discussion. I mean, and that's kind of, if you've listened to the 50 episodes of this podcast, then you know that that's kind of what I like. I like the fire service discussion. I like to start with a topic but take it where where it likes to go. And, and that discussion really was uh, – I mean it really felt more like a, uh, like a firehouse kitchen table session than uh, a, a focused topic podcast, which I love. Um, so big thanks to George McNeil for coming on, um, again, at Lone Star Jake on both Twitter and Instagram, uh, reach out to George. I think he's a, a wealth of knowledge on a lot of different topics. And I think we're going to bring him back and uh, talk about some low manpower stuff. We talked about that, uh, post and, and uh, post podcast and pre podcast. I really think he's got a lot to share. Uh, about how to, you know, I mean, everything from setting your rig up to how your firefighters should be set up to how they should be trained, all that stuff about for low manpower. So we may be bringing him back sooner than later. Uh, but again, thanks to everybody who has been here through 50 episodes. I can't thank everybody enough. I can't thank everybody enough for the feedback I've gotten. I can't thank everybody enough for just everything uh, with 50 episodes of the Average Jake Firefighter Podcast. This is a labor of love for me, um, and I really enjoy doing it. Uh, with that being said, I could not do what I do without the support of some great people and some great companies. Um, first, some great people. Uh, I wouldn't. I would never have ever thought I could do this if it wasn't for guys like Ryan Pennington, guys like uh, you know Ben Martin, Taylor Goodman, uh, my wife Karen, my boys. Uh, you know, it's pretty cool when your 15 year old who has expressed a big interest in the fire service recently uh, listens to your podcast. Uh, it's pretty. It's a pretty neat, uh, pretty neat thing. I think. Um, so, uh, with my boys, uh, junior and Ben, like I, I couldn't do it without any of them, without the support of my entire family, uh, my father for getting me involved in the fire service in the first place, just everybody who reaches out, it means the world to me. Uh, when you say something, you know, and I don't even mind the negative comments, right? Because that helps you get better and that helps you grow. Cause I know I'm not perfect, uh, at any of this. Right. And if you saw the re recording setup that I have, you'd be like, how in the world has this guy recorded 50 episodes like this? Um, but thanks so much for everyone that stuck with me. And importantly as well, some great companies that have stuck with me throughout this. The first being Vanguard Safety Wear. Vanguard Safety Wear, the makers of the MK1 Fire Glove. Those things are made for work. They not only have the MK1, they have the MK1 Ultra, which I'm currently wearing on my fire gear. They have the Squad 1 Rescue Glove. So go to VanguardSafetyWear.com or go to DingusFire.com and get you a pair of Vanguard Safety Wear MK1, MK1 Ultras, or Squad 1 gloves, they are made for work. Secondly, Taylor's Tins. Taylor's Tins makes metal helmet fronts, but that ain't all. They make 
everything that can be. If you can conceive it, they can do it. They make metal helmet fronts. They make uh, metal pump cards. They make playing cards. They make reference cards for your four gas monitor. They make locker tags. They make accountability tags. If they, if you can dream it up, they can make it. I wear a Taylor's tin on my helmet every day. Uh, and it's awesome. It maintains it. it. It takes a beat and it keeps on going. It looks great. So go to taylorstins.com. That's taylorstins.com. And get them to make you a custom anything. Okay? Get them in the tinnery. Show them some concept art. Show them what you're wanting. And they'll be able to do it for you. Guaranteed. Taylorstins.com. Stop burning up leathers and start wearing Taylor's Tins. Third is going to be tacticalworksheet.com. These guy, this guy sells great command boards. It's one of the, I use this command board whenever I ride up on the battalion car or the EMS supervisor car or the safety car. I love their command boards. Tacticalworksheet.com. It is awesome. They have the steering wheel desk. I like doing command from inside the car. So go there. They've got the IDLH uh, command board. They've got the IDLH mini command board, which I wear in my coat in case I have to go be a division supervisor or I'm on a, or a side Charlie supervisor. Uh, I, that way I can keep track of companies. They have the PIO worksheet mini command board. They're coming up with everything, and they're great quality. They're great command boards. They're laid out the way that I think incident command boards should be laid out. They're the way how my brain works. And they give you lots of options to be able to lay it out the way that you think it should work. They've got flip guides on the IDLH command board. It's really the best command board that I've ever seen and been a part of. So make sure you go to tacticalworksheet.com. Let them know you heard it here on the Average Jake Firefighter podcast and get you one today. If you're an incident commander and you're not using IDLH, the IDLH uh, command board from tacticalworksheets.com, then I don't know what else to tell you. Go there now. Lastly, so super excited to be able to finally announce that we're coming back the Fire Ground Commander Conference. Fire Ground Commander Conference in Henrico County, Virginia, October 25th through the 27th at the Henrico Theater. We had to postpone it from March, but we're back, baby. Uh, the, if you know, if you listen to anything that I do, the Fireground Commander Conference I'm part of with my good friends Taylor Goodman and Ben Martin. Um, ben is the godfather of this conference. It was his concept, his idea. It's his backing. Uh, I just help him do it. But it is one of the best things that I do all year. Um, I help run the conference. I help come up with the you know the staffing for it, everything. It's awesome. And this year, it's going to be the biggest conference we have ever attempted. Ten speakers, ten FDIC-level speakers coming to Henrico County, Virginia, the Metro Richmond area at the Henrico Theater. We're talking guys like Ryan Pennington. We're talking guys like Eric Wheaton. We're talking guys like Dan Shaw, Doug Mitchell, Mark Von Appen, James uh, Johnson, William Knight. I mean, the list goes on and on. We're going to be, this is the biggest conference we've ever, we've ever attempted. Ten speakers, ten speakers for $175. That's right, $175. I dare you to find a better deal than that anywhere else in the country. I dare you to find a better deal than that. Oh, and did I mention lunch provided all three days, snack bar provided all three days, and to be announced soon, a social that'll be on the first night of the conference at a local eatery and or pub. So what are you waiting for? Go to embracetheresistance.com and click on the conference tab. That's Ben's website. 
click on the conference tab and it'll show you everything you need to know about registration. We've got a, a block of hotel rooms for a cheap rate. The, the airport is literally right around the corner, literally right around the corner. Nine mile road to airport drive, take a right and you're right at the, at the Richmond International Airport. You can get direct flights in and then you can get, you can Uber to the hotel, you can Uber to the venue. Some of the hotels even have shuttles. I mean, it's, it's, I, I dare you to find a better, more accessible conference in the country for a better price. $175, three days, 10 speakers, lunch provided all three days. EmbraceTheResistance.com, click on the conference tab, and uh, man, come join us in October 25th through the 27th. I'm super excited. This is going to be our biggest and best conference yet. You need to join us. And lastly, you know what we do. Make sure you're spending one hour in the gym working on your physical fitness every day. Getting in shape and being in the right shape. And that doesn't mean having show muscles, like I've said before. We don't need Ferraris in the fire service. We need people that can do work and take a beating. We need bulldozers and dump trucks. So make sure you're spending that one hour in the gym every day. Make sure you're spending one hour reading about your fire service, reading about our trade or reading something that has fire service correlations. Spend that one hour in that library. Watch a YouTube video. Read an article. Go over a protocol. Go over an SOG. Something. And make sure you're spending one hour doing some sort of hands-on training. Putting your hands on the tools that we need to do our job. You do that. You become a pretty phenomenal firefighter. I guarantee it. Thanks for listening to 50 episodes of the Average Jake Firefighter Podcast. And stay safe, but stay aggressive. I'm out. <laughs>